0: you're here for us. We are, uh, we are uh, starting a new series today. And before we get into that, I wanted to uh, just take a little moment here and kind of a pause in our service just to spend some time in prayer. And the reason for this is that I just feel like there's a lot going on in the world, right? There's, there's a whole lot going on in the world. If you didn't know, just a few weeks ago, there was a major earthquake in Haiti, uh, over 1,600 people at last count, and it seems like it goes up every day, lost their lives. Um Many people lost their homes, their businesses. Uh, man, and if you know Haiti, third world country, has just continued to struggle. And so, I think we need to be in prayer about that. Um, of course, there's uh, forest fires going on in California. Seems like burning out of control. Um, you know, when you hear 750,000 acres, you're like, what is that? I mean, how much? It's a lot. I mean, go look at a map. You know, there. Then there's the whole Afghanistan thing and what's going on over there. We, we lost um, service members this week. Uh, it seems like the violence is just continuing to escalate and probably will escalate into the future. Um, there's a whole lot going on. And then there's a hurricane, it's a category four, might upgrade actually to a category five named Ida that's about to hit Louisiana. In fact, there's a picture that I got sent to my phone this morning and that little blue dot there is a family that used to go to Oakwood, Jason and Lauren Weig. And they're on, the, they're on the east side of the eye, which is not where you want to be when these storms come in. That's the highest uh, winds at 145 miles per hour. And so, you know, it seems like with everything going on in the world that, that we are called by God to pray. I want to remind you of uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. No, do not be anxious about anything. Fires, hurricanes. What's going on in Afghanistan, the persecution for Christians there is going to be great, the missionaries there trying to get people out, what's going on in Haiti. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then verse 7, it says, and when you do this, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think that's what we need to pray. Not only for our own hearts and minds, but can you imagine for the hearts and minds of those in Afghanistan right now? For the hearts and minds of those in Louisiana with the storm bearing down? The hearts and minds of those fighting fires? The hearts and minds of those just, just seems like in the world It seems like it's just spinning out of control, and so it's a reminder to us. When we feel like things are out of control, when we feel like we're having anxiety and fear, when we find ourselves and our minds going there, it's a reminder to pray. So I want to do that as God's church this morning. So if you would, just bow with me, and I'm just going to give us a couple minutes to pray. And and I'll close our time, but just pray, uh, take these things before the Lord this morning. Lord God, we come to you because you are the mighty one, the almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth. You hold all things in your hand. And God, though it seems like our world is spinning out of control, we read in scripture that these things must happen, that there would be an increase in violence, there would be an increase in wars and rumors of war, there would be an increase in natural disasters and that these things would increase in frequency and intensity as uh, Jesus is preparing to come again. And God, it doesn't make it any any easier on us though for our friends and for uh, missionaries and for Christians and for brothers and sisters and maybe even family members around the world that are dealing with all of these things. And so Lord, we just pray your mercy be with your people. God, we just pray that the gospel would penetrate and change hearts and lives. Lord, we we pray that uh, your church would be uh, found faithful in whatever you've called us to do. Um, But God, most of all, we come before you because it says in scripture that we should pray and petition you. And we should remember with thanksgiving all that you've accomplished before. And that that peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so we come before you today and we pray on behalf of all of these situations, Lord, we, that we've mentioned, all the different circumstances. God, just just move in and through these, Lord, that, that Jesus would be put on a pedestal, that he would be high and lifted up, Lord, that you would ultimately get, be glorified and work your redemption plan. Um, Lord, I, I just pray as we feel desperate, Lord, that this would be a reminder to call out to you, to call out on the one that can actually do something about all of this. Lord, we just come before you now. And God, we come before you now as we enter into this time of the message, God, that you would speak to our hearts and minds, Um, God, that we would not be merely hearers of the word, but what we hear we would put into practice. And God, I know this is a, a challenge today with the topic that we're talking about. So Lord, I just pray, be with us now and help us to receive what you want us to receive. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for doing that this morning. We are beginning a series called Intervention, and it's intervention with a question mark. When we say that word, it might strike in you some imagery, maybe some preconceived notions. As I was talking to a staff about doing this series, it was funny because a a couple of our staff had brought up some videos uh, on YouTube and there's been like television shows and movies where it's like they've done interventions with people. So maybe, maybe you've been a part, maybe you've seen some of that, you know, it's like, we're going to do an intervention with so-and-so, and so they get a whole group together and they bring them in and they're going to tell them, hey, you've got to change your ways here, you know. Some of them are little things like, God, ah, what this habit that you do or this thing that you say, it's annoying, it's annoying to everyone, and we want to do an intervention to get you to stop saying that so you're not annoying people anymore. Uh, some Sometimes these interventions were about, you know, you're never going to uh, get a wife, you're never going to get a husband if you continue to do these things, we want to point these things out to you so that you will change where you're going to do an intervention. So a lot of people have this, this idea and this notion that, okay, it's, it's a group of people going over here, and you're going to intervene in their lives. It's this big thing. It's this big formality, and, and it's scary, but we're called to do it nonetheless, and that would actually be true, and according to God's word, with Christians and other Christians. That we're actually called by God to do these things. And and we learn about this all throughout Scripture. But the text we're going to be looking at today is found in the book of James. So if you have your Bible turn there, you're welcome to follow along in the app as well. If you choose to engage in the Word of God that way this morning, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Cool thing, and that's toward the end of the New Testament. Cool thing about the book of James is I call it the practical app book. It's practical application all throughout the book of James. There's so many different ways and in a chapter. You could have six or seven points of application. And it just this is how Christian living should be. This is how Christians should act and behave. This is what Christians should do. And a lot of time when you read these letters in the New Testament and you read the epistles, you get to the end of them and there's like a closing, right? It's like a summary statement. You know, sometimes Paul's saying, hey, say goodbye to so-and-so and greet so-and-so and don't forget to do this, this, and this. But this book ends very abruptly. This, this book ends just, just with more of what it's been giving you for five chapters. So let's read this. James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 says this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What's the call there? We have a responsibility as Christ followers to intervene in the life of a fellow believer that we see moving away from God. We have a responsibility as Christ followers to intervene in the life of a a fellow believer when we see them moving away from God. Now let's understand this, uh, and let's really dive into 19 and 20 here. Notice it says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you, and so he's talking to the believers here, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to God's church, and he's saying here, that one among you, brothers and sisters, if one among you should wonder should wander from the truth that word wonder is interesting in the original language it actually means to fall out of orbit and it gives us this picture of this planet that's you know in the solar system like the earth you know it's spinning on its axis and it's in the solar system and it's making its orbits and if the planet would fall out of orbit what would happen i know it feels like that today we are falling out of orbit because the world is crazy but but we're not yet but if the earth was to actually fall out of orbit we would all die because there's certain things like gravity and things we'd go flying off the earth, and and, and there's all these things that would happen, and so. That is kind of the imagery that's here, is that if one of you, if one among you, one amongst the fellowship of believers, should fall out of orbit in Christ Jesus, should wander from the truth, and what truth is it talking about there? It's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's talking about the reality that we are God's children, we're called to live his way, and if you start going your own way, you are sinning against God, and you're walking away from God, not toward God. And so so he says that if you should fall out of orbit, if you should wander from the truth, it says, my brother said, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. In other words, this is somebody who has gone in this back to the old ways of life. They've gone back to a sinful pattern. You're looking at their life and you're saying, Oh my goodness, this is not going to lead to anything good. Nothing good is going to come out of this situation here. We have to intervene. There needs to be what an intervention. There needs to be a conversation had, and if that person should turn that person back, gives us this idea of calling them to repentance, if they would turn back to following God's direction in their life as they as they had before. If if that person should bring that person back, should bring them back, means we're taking action to bring them back. Verse twenty. Remember this: whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. So they they're an error. They're not moving toward God. There's an air in their way. So it refers to them as a, as a sinner there. And it says, it will save them from death. It will save them from death. When it, the word them there, when I, when I looked it up in, in the Greek, it actually was a word that referenced the soul or the heart of a person. And so you will save their heart and their soul from death. It's talking about a spiritual death here. It's not talking that they're going to physically die, even though sometimes our sinful consequences could lead us to that place. But it's saying here that, that, that this heart, that the soul would die this spiritual death running away from God. And it says that you're going to save them from that and cover over a multitude of sins. That word cover means to hide or to veil a multitude of sins. He said, say, well, how, how is that possible? You're going to cover, like you're going to cover it up? Like you're going to try to hide it from God on their behalf? No, no. It's talking about the blood of Jesus Christ that covers what? All of our sins. That when you turn a person back, when you help them repent and see the error in their way, and you start moving them in a direction that is back toward God and toward holiness and righteousness, that you're going to save them and cover and bring them back under the lordship of Jesus Christ. doesn't mean they're never gonna sin again, but it means this habit, this direction in their life is gonna change and you will help veil and cover a multitude of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we read that and we say, oh, okay. So, so we're called by God to intervene. We're responsible as Christians, as Christ followers, to intervene in the life of a fellow believer that we see moving away from God. And it's not just found in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. It's found all throughout Scripture. In fact, I could use the remainder of my time with you this morning and just give you Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. But I'll, I'll I'll just give you a couple. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters. I like the way he starts there. It's called action. He's like, hey, make sure. See to it. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, that you're going to turn back to the old ways of life, but encourage one another daily, every day, as long as it is called today, so that what? So that none of you may be hardened by what? By sin's deceitfulness. Sin has a way, right? Right? Makes things that are really bad seem really good for a moment or for a season or for a time period. And it says that none of you would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And how is this possible? Because you're going to encourage each other every day to not have sinful and unbelieving hearts that turn away from God. It means we're going to have to intervene. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you, you, you can see it, it's plain enough, they're caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit, that's where the capital is, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Make sure that you don't get entangled in that web of deceitfulness or that somehow Satan would use pride and arrogance in your life as you're trying to help this brother or sister that you would become prideful about yourself. But do it with this heart and this attitude that's like Christ Jesus that when you see someone straying, when you see someone going down this path of sinfulness in your life, you who are living by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And there's many more passages, there's many more sections of scripture verses that talk about this very thing. And so I think it's plain to us that this is what we're called to do as as Christ followers. We are called to intervene in each other's lives, especially when we see someone sinning or heading down this path, walking away from biblical truth. When we see a brother or sister in Christ, that their life is starting to show this pattern Where maybe they're giving in to temptation, they're giving in, they're, they're, they're listening to the lies of the deceiver, Satan himself. That we are called by God to intervene, to say something, and to do something to help. Second thing this morning, we are called to intervene in one another's lives, even if we don't know exactly how to do it. We're called to intervene in one another's lives, even if we don't know exactly how to do it. So many times, I think we get caught up in the technique of it. You know, it's all about the technique. Well, you know, I, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to say it and we're going to talk about the how more next week so be sure you're here next week for that but you know so many of us are just like I just get caught up in the technique I, you know do I do I take someone with me um, and do I do, do I go by myself and you know do I do it by email because you know sometimes if I write it out it sounds better and then or do I do I do it by text or do I do it by a phone call or maybe it needs to be face to face maybe that's what I'm called to do but I, I always mix up my words and I know what I I want to say but I don't say them I'm just kind of like Moses you know hey go to Pharaoh but I can't talk and so I won't go to Pharaoh and, and, and so we get all caught up and we have all these excuses right and what happens is we'll just let a brother or sister stray oh there they go she gone he gone man I'm going to pray for them I'm, I'm going to pray but we don't say anything we don't do anything and i know what it is for some of us we're like you know what i don't see very many examples of this lived out today like i, I can't tell you last time i saw a christian go to another brother and sister in christ and say hey i'm really concerned about the direction of your life concerned about the direction of your marriage the direction of your business the uh, you know i hear this about you but i see this and I, i'm just concerned I'm concerned about the priorities of your life you know you, you used to be in church like every sunday now you're not and you know, we, we, you know, we blamed baseball, and then we blamed a virus, and then we blamed, you know, and like, where, where, where are you at? You know, are you are you okay? Are, you know, I heard I heard something about your language at work, and I was like, that's uncharacteristic because at church he never says those things, and you know, and I'm, I'm I'm concerned about the duplicity of your witness and how that might damage the gospel of Jesus Christ because you act like one way on Sunday and in a, in a, in another way. We don't see modern-day examples of that very often. Why? Why? Because good Christians are kind. What's kinder? To warn somebody that they're heading into a path of destruction. And if you're going to start pushing back on this this morning, let me give you a couple of examples of real life. There is a hurricane coming to Louisiana, and if you had knowledge of that, maybe you don't have technology. Put us back in the 1800s. Hey. I notice the surf's up and I see these clouds swirling out there. In fact, I've thrown down a tornado or two. I see high winds, high seas, boats are getting thrown around. You should get out of here. I think it's a hurricane, and it's coming." And all of us would say, "Yeah, duh, right? I mean, we would warn them. obviously we would say, "Hey, you're, you're headed down this path of destruction. Bad things are going to happen. You, you would warn them. You would say something, right? Another thing, what, what if they were in the middle of like the highway? They're out here on 412, cars are going by 65, 70 miles per hour, depending on what zone you're in, you know, and, and, car, and, and you're like, hey, if you stand in the middle of the highway, these semi-trucks are bearing down at 70 that can't stop on a dime, you're going to get hit. You've got to get out of the road. You would say something. I mean, if it was a child or, or, or even a, a teenager, you would say something. You, know, you, you you would speak to them, and you say, hey, hey, I, let me help you, let me, let me show you, you're, you're going to hurt yourself, and you would say, yes, and it's like, why is it any different in the faith, especially when we're called in Scripture to do it? Oh, because we're good Christians, right? And good Christians would never warn a brother or sister that they're heading in a bad direction in life, that what they might do might destroy their marriage, that it might... Destroy their future, that it might destroy their business, that it might destroy the next generation in their family. If they continue down this path, how many times have you watched someone destruct and you didn't say anything? And then, like five years later, you were like, ah, ended up just like I thought five years ago. Wonder what would have happened if you'd have said something? Would you have saved them from death? Like it says in verse 20. Cover over a multitude of sins. And I understand we have fear. We all always pent up fear about it. And I understand some of us were very, very diplomatic about this. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to be the speck inspector, you know. Pastor, you are forgetting about that verse in Scripture where it says, hey, you know, don't point out the speck in, you know, your brother or sister's eye. If you've got a plank like a two by four coming out of your own eye and... Well, that's true. It does say that in Scripture. In fact, let's read it. Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. Jesus, the Son of God, says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out... Take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if you have a plank in your eye or if you've ever had a plank in your eye, uh, that's it, you're done. You're not to say anything. No, he just says, take it out and then go help your brother. In other words, get your heart right, get your mind right, get your walk right. Be moving God's direction. Life doesn't mean you have to be perfect. He doesn't say, hey, you without sin, then talk to your brother or sister in Christ. There's no qualifier here, and in any of the passages you can look at in the New Testament, there's not this qualifier. Except, be moving God's direction. Make sure you know it's like this. I think it's so obvious. It's like if someone is struggling. Let's say they're struggling with a, a, a sin. They're they're using the Lord's name in vain. Horrible in my book. I, it's, I think it's horrible. And and they're using the Lord's name in vain. And you go to them, and you you feel like okay, God's called me to say something here but you have a reputation for using the Lord's name in vain, like you, you do that yourself, okay? That, that, that intervention is not gonna work, right? It's like if you were to say, okay, you know, you're abusing alcohol and you're drinking too much, it's making you drunk, and we know what the Bible says about that, and so, but you are also a drunkard yourself. It's kinda like, okay, obviously that is not going to work. But how powerful would it be if God had delivered you from that in your life, And now you're at a place where I could go to a brother or sister and help them. Why? Restore them gently, right? Right? Cover over a multitude of sins. And intervene. It's about your heart being right and being humble. Third thing this morning, we are called to intervene even if we don't know how our brother or sister will react. We're called to intervene even if we don't know how they'll react. This goes back to the fear I was talking about in the point before. This is what paralyzes so much of us. It, it is paralyzed conversations that need to happen because I don't know how they're gonna receive it. And you're right, you don't. I can tell you, sometimes I think this person will take it like a champ, I'm feeling called, I gotta intervene, and they don't take it like a champ. And now they don't wanna be my friend anymore. And then I've gone to people that I thought, oh, this is a babe in Christ. No way, this is, this is not going to go well, but I've got to. Scripture says I've got to. And they take it like they've been a Christian for 40 years should take it. You really don't know. But you do know what you're called to do in Scripture. And even if it makes you very, very uncomfortable, and sometimes I think God works best when we're uncomfortable, personally, but even if you're really, really uncomfortable, or even if you think, well, I might lose a friendship over this, We're called to intervene, even if you don't know how they'll react. And you can't really base it on how they're going to react. I know what it is like for some of you. Some of you are like, I'm going to lose my Sunday school classmate. They won't come to our, our group anymore. I might I get might this reputation around the church for being like the Holy, the Holy Ghost police, you know. I, I, I don't I don't want that. but we're called by God to intervene. And it's kinda like I said a couple weeks ago in a message, do the right thing, leave the results to God. Maybe if you lose a friendship, it's only for six weeks. Maybe it's for six months. But you're doing what scripture calls you to do. You're doing what God has called you to do. And what is more caring? To warn them, to try to get them to repent, to show them the error in their ways. Is that more caring? Or is it more caring to just act like nothing's going on? Yeah, just ignore it. Mind your own business. Stay in your lane. It's not your place. Not your place say anything to a brother and sister. I know what happens sometimes as you're thinking of somebody right now. You're probably thinking of two scenarios, somebody I wish I would have talked to and somebody I need to talk to right now, because I know, I heard this week, I read it on Facebook, I saw it myself, I've heard they're straying, this is not gonna end well for their marriage, it's, this is not, their attitude has got to change. I, I have to say something, they're gonna be mad at me, but uh... fourth thing this morning, we are called to intervene Even when we don't feel worthy. Even when we don't feel worthy. You know, that sounds very spiritual and humble, right? I'm not worthy. Well, really, when are you worthy? Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that would make you worthy. So if you're a Christian, you are worthy to do what God says you need to do. And sometimes I know we think we have to be, like, perfectionistic about this. It's like, oh, you know, I've I've got to have it all together. But again, I would say it's more pointing toward your state and your condition of your heart. Sometimes we think, well, I don't want to go to them because maybe, let's be honest, I want them coming to me about my stuff. But maybe that's exactly what you need. Is someone who'll be honest in your life. Someone who'll quit pretending like you're oh good enough. You know, all oh, you're you're just righteous. I mean, you look good on Sundays. You know, the rest of the week, but we're called to intervene. We're called to put to push back on this. Mutual spiritual apathy that happens amongst Christians, and this mutual spiritual apathy toward your walk with God, and maybe toward your walk with one another. What if this became the cry of God's church? No more mutual spiritual apathy as God's church. What if? What if that was it? In other words, this. This is what I'm saying. You care enough about God. To do what the Bible tells you to do. You care enough about God to make the sacrifice for him. You care enough about God to walk the path he wants you to walk. You care enough about God to intervene when he's called you to intervene. You care enough about God. And you care enough about one another. You care about each other enough that it's like, "I, I know I need to say something and I don't want to. My flesh is saying no. Satan wants a win here. He's saying no. Don't say anything at all. Keep your mouth shut. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not well-trained enough. But I feel like I should say something. Care enough about God. Care enough about one another that you will intervene so they don't end up in a mess. So care enough about one another that you will say something. When everything in you says don't say anything. Care enough about one another that you will at least try to get them to what? What did it say in James? Turn. Turn away from their sin and turn toward God. And I don't care if you're in fifth grade, 11th grade, out of grades, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. There's no qualifier here. Oh, when you get over 40, then you start doing this. No. It just says that you do it. And you make sure that your heart's right. I mean, if you want to know the condition, that's what it's about. It's just that your heart would be right. Am I repentant of my sin? Do I find myself moving toward God? Do I find myself wanting to please God more every day? Do I grow in obedience to him? Am I moving his direction in life? then you're qualified. I don't have this perfectly. Through the blood of Jesus, you're qualified to bring them through the blood of Jesus. I want to point out a passage in Luke 22, verse 32. Great verse here. It's Jesus, and he's talking to Simon Peter. You know Peter, one of his 12 disciples. And this is what Jesus... Says to Simon Peter, he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, look at that. Look at that verse. Look at that verse. He says, when you have turned back, he knows what Peter's going to do. What's Peter going to do? You know the story. He's going to deny Christ three times. Jesus knows that. And what does he say? What's the condition of you being my guy, Peter? What's the condition that you're going to lead my church in the book of Acts? What's the condition? It is that when you have turned back, when you have repented of your sins and you're moving my direction again, and it was Peter perfect? He was without sin. He was, just, just, he was Jesus, the Son of God. No. But he was moving God's way. He saw an increase of holiness and righteousness in his life. He was moving that direction in life. When you have turned back, Then what did he say? Strengthen your brothers. How is he going to strengthen the brothers? Hey, I heard what you said. That's not what God's called us to. And I want to help you. I want to help you turn back to God. What had to be right for Peter to be used by God in his church all throughout the book of Acts? His heart, his condition of his heart had to be right. It was all about the state and the condition of his heart. God's not looking for perfection to do what he's called you to do. He's looking for a heart that's bent toward him and a willingness and a love for him and a love enough for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that when you see them straying, you would intervene. Let's go back. James 5 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you, if one amongst you, should wander from the truth, they're not going in a good direction. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from the spiritual depth, the spiritual death, and cover over a multitude of sins. these things should matter to you because they matter to God. If it didn't matter to God, he wouldn't put them in scripture. Today is a call to obey. Specifically, today is a call to intervene. And I want to encourage you, church, to do something when you're tempted to do nothing. To say something when you're tempted to just mind your own business. And see if God, through his working in you and through the work of his Holy Spirit, doesn't save someone from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We're going to take communion together this morning and hopefully if you're online you've made those arrangements with the emblems. This bread that represents Jesus' body and this cup that represents his blood, he took this with his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And if you're a believer, if you're a member of the body of Christ, then we are invited around the Lord's table the Lord's Supper, to partake in these emblems and to remember his sacrifice. And I want you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus for what? So many of us think, oh, for eternal life, that was it. It's for eternal life. No, it wasn't just for eternal life. Scripture tells us that Jesus died in sacrifice to save us from our sins that we could walk in newness of life. And the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the resurrection power we have through his spirit in our hearts that says you can, you can live a righteous life. You can intervene and help somebody, keep them out of trouble when you see them straying. You can do that because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray, and then let's take communion this morning. Lord God, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for the power of your spirit, the resurrection power that lives in each and every believer. Lord, I pray this morning, help us to be obedient to you in all areas of life, Lord. But Lord, if we've been lacking in this area where, well, I, did, I didn't want to do this, I didn't, I didn't want to be judgmental, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be uh, that person... It's just, you know, mean and judgmental and and condemning in nature. Lord, this isn't about judging or condemnation. This is about help. Lord, we need help. Lord, you've called us as God's family, brothers and sisters. If we see somebody wondering, we've got to reach out. We've got to say something. We've got to help. So, God, I pray you give us the courage to do that. We just thank you so much for forgiveness and for grace and for the power of the cross. We'll pray all these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Just take a few moments this morning and commune with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.